If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Throughout this, this whole book, really, and, and specifically, especially chapter 11, we've been talking about this faith journey that we're on and the fact that God wants each of us to step out and to risk faith, to make a decision to submit ourselves to the Lord and be obedient to what he's commanding of us or leading us to do. And we've been pushing on that. And I think as I've talked to people about their faith journey, whether it's faith in their finances, faith in their relationships, faith in the future, whatever it may be, I feel like there's a, a decent hindrance or one of the things that gets in the way is, is our lack of belief that God still does the miraculous. It, we still wrestle with the idea that God can and does do miraculous things in and through our lives right now. And that, I think the author is experiencing that as well because we're kind of rounding out, we're ending our chapter 11 run pretty soon and headed into chapter 12. And he kind of just goes through a rapid fire description of all these Old Testament figures that did certain things by faith. And I think in that, it's really easy for us to see, okay, God does the miraculous things. And so I hope that you'll get encouraged by that. But also, I think it's important for us to remember that these people that he's speaking to are a group of Jewish Christians that have started to experience some light persecution for following Christ and not just staying to Judaism as a whole. And so they're starting to experience a ramp up of, of persecution. It's, it's been kind of small at this point. It gets exceptionally harder probably two years, within two years of the writing of this book or the, the speaking of this to the people. And, and it gets really, really hard by 70 AD. Obviously, it, it, everything kind of goes crazy in Israel at that time. And so they are experiencing some hardships, some reasons to recoil, and the entire book has been about persevering to the end. In fact, chapter 10 tells us right at the end of chapter 10, it says, persevere to the end. Stand firm in your faith. And then chapter 12 tells us to fix our eyes, run the race with endurance. So it's like just faith chapters is sandwiched between the idea of perseverance to the end. And it'd be really easy for us to say that, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's great. Okay, that, that's fine. But again, practically on a day-to-day -day basis for us today, we still wrestle with God doing miraculous things. So let's read Hebrews, and I think the author saw that maybe. And so he's going to rapid fire a number of characters, a number of individuals that are here in history that these, every single Jewish person that's standing that day or hearing that day understood and know the stories of these individuals when he's talking about it. So verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Okay, miraculous, right? Pretty miraculous. If you've ever read that or heard that or seen that, like that's a pretty miraculous thing that, that water not only moves out of the way, but the ground they walk on is dry until it takes over the Egyptians when they try to do the same thing. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been in, encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Now, I'm just going to pause for a second here. Do you ever wonder if Rahab wondered if she would ever not be known as the prostitute? Like, I just, for me, it's like, can she just be Rahab? I mean, she did a really cool, no, sorry, that's free. Okay, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of you Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David of David and Samuel and the prophets, the 12, about 12 prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Can I get an amen? That's like, that's miraculous, right? He goes through this rapid fire of things, talking about how God separates the sea completely so that people can just walk through it on dry land. 
It says that in verse 29. He tells us about the, the, the city of Jericho. I've been to Israel, and you go visit Jericho. It's, Israel's an interesting spot because there's a number of larger religions that kind of combating with each other, and yet there's still the Israel government trying to preserve history. And if you go to where Jericho is, the, the main, like, state, the Israel state's kind of information, they're, they're, what you'd see in a museum, the plaque, says, the walls of this city fell suddenly. Not sure how. Like, that's literally what they say. So, so even the archaeology that studies says, I don't know how this happened. But, but when we look at it, we see, you know, people walking around with trumpets and yelling really loud and them falling. Like, that's miraculous. I don't think there was a single person that was there that wasn't like, wait, what? Like, I almost picture, like, if I was walking ready to go in, I'd almost have a hard time running into attack because I'm like, did that just happen? Like, I thought we were just kind of strengthening our lungs for the battle ahead, not necessarily, like, literally God was going to drop these walls. It's a miracle. It's a miraculous thing. Yet even when I say that, some of us are like, yeah, yeah, that, that was then, though. That was, that was then. That was God working for the Israelites to get them into freedom and taking over areas. That was, that was then. And then he goes into the idea of shutting the mouth of lions, which most of us would obviously think of Daniel in the lion's den, but also Sam, Samson in Judges 14 or David in 1 Samuel 17 had experience with lion. Now, lions are apex predators, right? They are apex predators. It's pretty miraculous that, that Daniel was sitting in there and he was drinking a cup of coffee with the lions the next morning, perfectly fine. I mean, I've been chased by a goose trying to feed bread to, 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 to ducks on the river. So, like, I mean, this is scary. Like, apex predator, that's a miraculous thing. That is an incredible miracle. And yet we see God doing miraculous things. Then he goes on and says the quenching of fire. He's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how they wouldn't denounce God, how they wouldn't stop praying to their God and wouldn't, wouldn't accept the idols. And they said, fine, you're going to have to do this. You're going to be burned. And they step into a furnace of flames that would, like, would literally destroy them in, in seconds, in less than a minute. And they come out perfectly fine. A miracle. No one looked at that and said, well, okay, what was the, where was the you know, cinematography in this? How did you guys do the, you know, the graphics to make this happen? Artificial stuff was happening. No, this was miracles. Profound, miraculous things that every single Jewish person that heard this this day are like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. Miracle after miracle. Then the, the resurrection of the son, it's, it's talking about the, of the widow of Zarephath who, or the Shunammite woman, both Second Kings 4. We see two women that received their children back to life. Both their, their kids were dead. One was a widow. She only had one son, no husband, and he's, he's brought back by Elijah. And you see this miracle happen in this way. Death to life. Profound, miraculous things. But yet most of us today, we see these, these pieces of history. We see what the, the Lord has preserved for us over time in the scripture that we know is the truth of God's word. And we go, that's neat, but I just don't see him doing that today. And we don't believe God can do the miraculous. And so we don't pray for God to do the miraculous. We don't step out in faith for the miraculous to happen. We just, we hold ourselves tentatively looking for God to work in small ways that we can kind of high five him for because we know that he doesn't do the miraculous anymore. Now, none of us would say that, but that's how we operate. The other thing that we see in this text is we see God doing what, what one pastor called the kind of providential acts. And I want to talk about this because this is more up our alley. Many of us aren't experiencing walking up in the, in the hills, going on a hike, and coming to a creek, and the creek splitting for us and walking through. Like, most of us haven't experienced that. Very few of us have tried to lay with a line and see what would happen, right? Like, that doesn't necessarily happen for us. But, but the providential things that God talks about, these, these things that God does, that with faith, God has given us eyes through faith to see these things happen. And that's what he goes on. He goes on and talks about Rahab not perishing. Why, does Rahab, why is she considered faithful? 
Right? She, all she does is, is basically turn on her people because she believed what she saw in Joshua 2, that, that God was doing something with the Israelites. He was crushing all these other people groups, and they were just one of the people group in the way, and so she knew it. And so she saves the spies and sends them back to help them, and then says, hey, have faith on my family. Why is she considered faithful? It says by faith she does this. Well, we also know a couple things from history from her. I was talking with a, a friend this week, and he reminded me of this, that, that Rahab is Boaz's mother. Where, where, does she, where does Boaz get his faith? Through his mom, Rahab. It tells us in, in Joshua that Rahab spends the rest of her life with the Israelites. As a Gentile woman with the Israelites. That's a big deal. But this act, her operating this way, it wasn't, hey, she decided to save her own life and move this. It says by faith she did this. So it's a work of God. A second area that we see providence or more ordinary works of God. Miracles would be things that we see kind of involve extraordinary interruptions from God, right? And a providential act is kind of a more ordinary work that we can see God, we can give a tributation to, it, to God. Second one is uh, David conquering kingdoms and establishing righteousness. Now we see him over and over and over again conquering kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. That was because God allowed him to do so. When I argue with that, we can see plenty of times when they were unfaithful and they didn't win in battle. We can see God removing his hand with them and them losing in battles because of issues that have happened. So this was a work of God that David, although not perfect, but David was attributing to God. Not miraculous. He's not part in the sea here, but this army is winning in this way. Elijah escaping the sword of Jezebel. We actually have like three or four prophets that escape the sword. We see those things happen. Um, actually, Saul with, uh, with uh, David, he escapes the sword there. So again, maybe we say, oh, well, David was crafty or Jezebel was crafty and they got out of the way or they figured out a way to do it. No, God allowed it to not happen. They escaped the sword. And I'll explain that more in a second. Gideon being strengthened in weakness. We see that in verse 34. Others putting foreign, foreign armies to flight. Verse 34. These are acts of God that most of us won't give credit to God. Let me give you an example. Having a child, it is a miracle. Having a child is a miracle. You would not have a child if God did not create that one in your womb. That is a Miracle, that is a work of God. That is an act of him working through your obedience or your desires in that way. We are too quick to remove God from the equation, which then affects our faith, and we walk so faithlessly because we're looking for him to do the miraculous. We're like, you get better part of see God, for me to follow you. But we don't see the miraculous or him doing things in our lives. The fact that, hey, you have a job. That's a work of God. You're breathing. God is literally holding you together today. You woke up today. Those are all works of God. And we can see, and the author seems to be like wanting to gear up, like, look, don't worry about your circumstances. God does the miraculous. God is in the providential things. He's gonna be with you. Stay faithful. Follow him. Submit yourselves to him. Be obedient to what God is commanding you. All of these steps, the Israelites were obedient to step into the dry land between the walls of water. Everyone was walking in obedience by faith to the Lord. And he's pushing on these Hebrews to say, hey, would you guys, these Jewish people, would you guys please be faithful? God does a miraculous. And I want to extend that to you today. Do you believe that God still does the miraculous? Have you stopped praying for God to do something because you just don't think it's possible? Have you sat faithless because you're afraid that you might see a smaller God if he doesn't do what you want him to do? How are you hindering or limiting or pulling back your faithfulness because you're afraid that God just doesn't do that. 
And this scripture here is he's showing us, look at, here are all the ways. Look at what I did with Gideon. Look at what I did with Perak. Look at what I did with Samson. Look at what I've done with all of these individuals. Story after story after story of me doing something in their life to bring glory to me, showing my goodness to my, to my people. And so many of us still struggle to operate in faith. And I think some of that is because we look at these miracles and we see the lack of miracles in our own mind to what's happening present. And we go, God, I just, I just don't see a connection here. In fact, there's a lot of people that would teach today that through faith, there are many who teach today that the life of faith will bring health and wealth and prosperity. And where those things are lacking, it's because faith is lacking. And they'll put it like, you want to get healthy? You need to have more faith. As if we have any control over that. See, and I think the reason why we don't believe in God and the miracles is because we don't realize, we look at our circumstances and we say, God, I need a miracle in this. And it doesn't seem like he's operating. It seems like he's out of control or he's forgotten about us or he's on vacation. The author, I think, sees that in his people too. And so he goes on. I stopped very, very on purpose at verse 35. Didn't even read all of 35. You're reading ahead. It's like, why do you stop here? Now, this is very important for us to understand. This entire section is written by faith. Okay, so by faith, and this onslaught of people, it started out with by faith, and it went through. They've, they've conquered kingdoms. They've enforced justice. They've obtained the promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched swords and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. By faith, women received back their dead by resurrection. By faith, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. By faith, others suffered mocking and flogging by faith and even chains and imprisonment. By faith, they were stoned or sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Now, this is, this is a little bit harder for us. I like the by faith, God does the miraculous section. That's fun. Why? Why does this by faith suffering section not sit so well with us? Because most of us have believed the lie that if we have enough faith, those things won't happen to us. We believe the lie that, that following Jesus will give us enough comfort in this world that we won't ever have to be mistreated. You wonder how I know that? Because most of yours and your friends or anyone else's faith crisis comes through trials. When things aren't going the way that we pictured them in our brain. Wait, I was faithful with my finances. Why am I struggling financially? I was faithful in my relationships. Why is this relationship falling apart? I was faithful to abstain from sexual relationships. Why are you bringing me a wife that didn't? Or I was faithful. We have all these misconstrued ideas of what our faith is due us, as if God owes us to our faithfulness. And we miss the very fact that the scriptures say right here, look, by faith you will suffer. By faith. Some will get sawn in two. That's a tradition that, that actually happened to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He was hiding from people chasing him in a tree, and the tree got sawed in half. So they say about Isaiah's death. By faith, that happened. It talks about people saying that they, while they're being afflicted, they, they said, no, I, I don't care, because they're holding on to what better. What was the thing that they were thinking that was better? They were being promised freedom the way that a slave would have been promised freedom in their day. That's what was happening to these people. They're saying, hey, you'll be free as a person that had experienced bondage their whole life, stepping out and being your own person. That's what you'll get if you just denounce God, if you just walk away from the Lord. And they're saying, no, I'm gonna die because there's a better freedom coming in a resurrection through Christ. A better resurrection even than what the Shunammite mom experienced. 
better resurrection. Those sons are just going to die again. This is a resurrection into new life altogether. And that's what they're fixated on. And you and I, we wrestle with this because this is such a hard truth, right? Why would God, why would God allow that to happen? Well, let me, let me not answer that question for you, okay? But let me go to another reason why I think this is very truly his will. Verse 34 says, some escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 37 says, and they were put to death with the sword. Same section. By faith, some escaped the sword. And by faith, some were put to death by the sword. Why? One one a New Testament version, Acts 12, talks about this a little bit more. It says, Acts 12, 1 through 2, says, About that time, Herod the king laid hands on some of the, who belonged to the church. Now, he wasn't laying hands to pray for them, okay? He was laying hands in a, in a very flogging, mocking, beating kind of way. He started beating some of the church. And then, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death, what? With a sword. You know what the very next verse goes into? It talks about Peter and how he had the same intentions for Peter. Very next verse. And the same thing. They arrested Peter for the same purposes, but God intervened and miraculously saves Peter. Why does God save Peter and not James? Why does one die by the sword and one escape the sword? Is it because God loves Peter more? No, that's not true. It's because James was sustained in faith through persecution through the sword, and Peter's being sustained in life through persecution, escaping the sword. Both are God's will. And we don't like even to think about God's will. But to me, man, this gives me peace. You want to know why this gives me peace? Because I don't have to muster up enough faith to make something happen. I can rest in the faith that God has given me as a gift, and I can be sustained by him whether I am experiencing suffering or experiencing miracles. Whether I'm seeing him providentially act or I'm seeing him seamlessly silent in my life. I can recognize that faith is what sustains me through all of that. Faith chooses to see the unseen hand of God in our lives. Faith sees the works that happen. I'm breathing today. I didn't fall off. I didn't get in a wreck. I stopped in time. It's praise God that he allowed me to stop. Praise God that he helped me to be aware of that. Now look, I get it. Some of you are like, whoa, 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 hold on. Don't even, don't even run down the systematic theology issue here of beliefs. I want you to stay true and present to the fact that faith will happen in your life whether you are suffering or it's really, really good. But the problem is, and the reason why most of us think it's a lack of faith is because we believe that God owes us a perfect life. As if us being saved isn't enough, he's already done for us. God does not always work miracles or acts of providence to deliver his people by faith, but sometimes by faith, God sustains his people through horrendous sufferings. Why would, why would God do that? What is, what is his purpose? Why, why are some saved and some not? What's, what's he doing? Is he just some puppeteer up there making some kind of fun game to see what happens? No. In fact, verse 38 gives us the be- most beautiful promise ever. Most beautiful promise. And this is why he does it. Because there's a, there's a consistency that happens with both these people groups. And I'll get to it in a second. Verse 38 says, Of whom the world was not worthy. Speaking of these people that have been suffered, the world is not worthy of them. The world is not worthy of of those who are suffering. Why? Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Why does the Lord say that? He's saying that ultimately you and I, when we're experiencing suffering, we are a gift to this world. When I am going through trials, I am a gift to those around me. How? How am I a gift? Because as a follower of Jesus that has my faith in God, I can, I can go through trials in a totally different way than anyone in the world that has no hope in Jesus Christ. If I, if I start battling with cancer, I can battle with cancer. As difficult and as hard and as gross and as difficult as that is, as, as horrible as that is, right? I can battle with that with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because Jesus Christ has died for my sins. 
I'm a gift to the world. When you are experiencing trials, when you're battling with depression, when you are battling with relational struggles, when you're battling financially, you can battle in a way that is different, that is contrary to this world, and you are a gift. The Lord says you are a gift to the world that they are not worthy of. However, as that gift, you know what will happen? The people around you say, man, I don't get how he can do that with that peace. I don't get how she can operate that way. How, how, does, how does that person do that? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It seems miraculous that they can do it. They seem like they're confused. Why would they be so peaceful when they might be dying? Because their eyes are fixed on a better life that is far, far greater than anything we can get in this world. You're a gift. So when we experience hardships, the better question to ask instead of why me is, God, who around me are you trying to show yourself to? Instead of experiencing the difficulty and going, why me, why me, why me? That's a very selfish way to think about it. It's all right, Lord, I'm in this. You know I'm in this. He's not not unaware. He could at any moment remove the sword if he wanted to. He could close up the lion's mouth. He's he's capable of the miraculous. So if we believe he's capable of the miraculous, why would we assume he can't do it in our own life? But he's allowing, he's choosing to allow us to go through this. Then that probably means that you're a gift to someone around you. You're a gift that they're not really worthy of, but God is using you to bring about someone else to know him so you can have a brother or sister in heaven for a kingdom forever. See, when we suffer, we usually go, why me, why me, why me? We get selfish. In fact, most every one of you that has ever experienced a faith crisis, think on it. Maybe some of you are in it right now. The very reason why you would call it a crisis is because you're doubting God because of your circumstances. You're doubting his goodness because of your circumstances. Yet, right here, He tells us in the the laundry list of Abrahams and Moses, the most faithful people we can have, our father of faith, the laundry list of people, he lines in, hey, just so you know, these people by faith suffered torture, sawn in two, stoned to death. Suffered difficulty. They were mocked. This should be encouraging to us. Really, it should compel us to live a life of faith. One scholar said it this way. I'm going to read it. He just said it really well. He says, in other words, faith is utterly in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than the job or retirement plans or ministry or writing books or building the dream house or making the first million. Faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love him. He is my reward, Hebrews eleven six. The builder of the city I long for, Hebrews eleven ten. The treasure beyond the riches of Egypt, Hebrews eleven twenty six. And the possession that surpasses all others and abides forever, Hebrews ten thirty four. The great challenge of the book of Hebrews and the mission of the church is to cultivate and to spread a death defying passion for God. To cultivate and to spread such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that, that we rest in Him, whether living or dying whether comfortable or miserable. The aim is to cultivate and spread the unshakable confidence that God is better than what life can give us and what death can take from us. God is better than what life can give us and what death can take from us. That's where faith hits the ground. We've been kind of up in this idea of what faith looks like and Abraham stepping out in obedience to follow the Lord to a land that he does not know where it is or, or Moses leading the people through Israel. We've been, we've been walking with the Lord through this process going, what does this really look like? And here it is right here. Despite the circumstances, whether you're living or dying, whether you're miserable or comfortable, faith is what sustains you. Faith is what takes you through it. Having faith is not the ultimate determining factor in whether you suffer or escape. God is. 
Did you hear that? Having faith is not the ultimate determining factor as to whether or not you suffer or don't. God is. God is sovereign. And he is doing a work in you for his glory. Praise God it's not for our glory. We're not worthy of it. Do you believe that? You know, I think maybe the point of this is if you hear these godly examples from the past that maintain their faith amidst really ridiculous hardships. In fact, church history, if you look just past the New Testament time period and look at what the church has experienced through persecution, like horrific, horrific persecution where people stood true to Christ. I mean, like watching their, their families get murdered before their eyes and still not willing to denounce Christ. A persecution that none of us could even fathom. Instead of feeling bad for them, that should cause us to want to stand faithful for the seemingly smaller things that they would never, ever, ever have given up on. Instead of running from God when our life gets a little difficult. Instead of running from God when, when relationships aren't the way that you expect them to be or finances aren't the way they expect them to be or, or your, your personal goals haven't been achieved or the, the things you've been asking the God to do for a very, very long time he hasn't seemed to done because it's for you, it's been years, for him it's still a vapor of a life. Many, many of us need more faith. Faith is a confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes but always with the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. But God is, he's doing a work in you whether you're in a hardship or not. He will sustain you through trials. He will, he will sustain you through miracles and he gets the credit for both of them. It should be incredibly freeing for us. We should realize that there's a, there's a way in which we can live inside of faith and through faith that will bring God honor in every single day, daily aspect of our life. Everything, the way we parent, the way we communicate, the way that we're married, the way that we, that we operate in our workplaces, everything is, is done by faith for God through him giving it to us. He sustains us in this. And so the author just onslaughts it before he ends on this faith section, basically telling us, look, God can still do the miraculous. Do you believe that? Some of you, you need to answer that question right now. You stopped asking because you don't believe God can do the miraculous. That is a faithless act. And God can still do very amazing things through providential acts that may not seem miraculous, but ultimately he needs the credit. And some of you are taking credit for those very things. I got me this job. I did this very thing. I won me this wife. I'm doing this. My kids are this way because I did this. You're not seeing that it's the Spirit of God living inside you that's allowing you to do those things. And some of you, you've stopped being faithful because you had some idea of what this should look like and it's not looking like what you had in your head. Yet the scriptures are very, very clear. Faith will sustain you through your trials. So if you're in a hardship right now, if you're battling, and I mean battling, don't give up. Maybe you need your pride to be broken down and you need to ask for help from your community people. One of the ways God works his miracles and his providential acts is through the community of God. I've seen that time and time again in my own life where someone has come along to do something that they had no idea what my wife and I were praying for and yet we saw a huge blessing in it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not be faithless people. I pray that fear wouldn't get in the way of what we are led by you to do. I pray that for those that are in the room that are, that are struggling through trials or difficulties or, or questioning who you are because of the difficulties in their life, God, would you show them that you're the very reason they're sustained in that moment and you will sustain them. Your word tells us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can trust your word just like we can trust that the miracles that happened did happen and that you are a God of doing miracles. And so God, for those that are in the room that have stopped praying for the miraculous, God, would you give them a confidence, a a boldness to ask for, for something and it, that's just ridiculously crazy that would take an amazing miracle, God. 
And we just sit back and watch you work. And for those that are, are experiencing hardships, God, would you remind them that you're, for, you're sustaining them? There isn't any suffering that they're going through that you're not aware of. You haven't lost track of them. You're not confused or perplexed by their situation. You are still God of their lives. And for those that are here that, that don't submit their lives to you, that are st- experiencing struggles or, or, or difficulties, God, your word is very clear. They, if they want to experience freedom and joy, it's through you and you alone. And so I just pray that you would, you would break down their barriers, help them surrender their lives to your son, Jesus Christ, and through him they could have eternal life and righteousness and experience a true freedom and joy despite the circumstances. And maybe for those that are in the room that no matter how hard they try to love you and submit their lives to you and, and follow you, they can't get around the fact that they still see their circumstances first. God, would you just blind them to that and give them the eyes of faith that would see you in everything. We praise you for your work and what you're doing in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.